Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at overtheball.com slash sponsors. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides. Today on OTB, we talk with Ali Curtis. He has been tapped by MLS to head up Next Pro. So MLS, MLS tapped him to head up MLS Next Pro. There's a lot of, a lot of words there, Chris. A lot, of, a lot of alphabet soup. I get caught in my mouth whenever I talk about these things. But uh, he, this guy's had quite a player career, um, quite a journey in the world of soccer. First as a player at Duke. He won the Herman Trophy there, played a few seasons MLS, which I'm sure you, you crossed paths with him, Chris. And then first African-American manager in MLS history when he joined the Red Bulls in 2014, then went to GM at, the, at Toronto FC, and now MLS Next Pro, which is, if you don't know, a men's professional soccer league in the United States and Canada that is affiliated with, uh, with MLS, and it all starts off in 2022. So, Chris, this is all player development, which I know is really what you – take a shine too is what you uh, you're really interested in um what are your thoughts on this do you know yeah, a lot I'm yeah i'm happy to have uh, ali on because uh you know for a while now there's been this gap in terms of the player development path where you have the obviously the first teams of mls and then underneath them have been the academies but you know they'll kick the players out at you know that eight, 18 age you know that high school age and so now there's very very few college players who could make it to the first team never mind high school guys you know so now they're trying to bridge that gap in player development try to provide another playing opportunity for these guys that are coming out of the academies that aren't quite ready for the first team yet so this is exactly what this is about i look forward to discussing it how many of those players do you think get overlooked that develop late i mean american players are known for developing late we've talked about that before on the show but um are there a lot of guys that you think get get passed over yeah, I mean, we, there are guys in our history, Chris Wondolowski, even Clint Dempsey, that, that didn't necessarily come out of the college game, you know, unbelievably touted as for sure going to have these careers that they ended up having. So, you know, their ability is to play extra, extra years after college at a good level to help develop them as pros that allowed them to ultimately make the first team and have the careers that they've had. So there are always going to be players like that, you know, kind of falling through the cracks or late bloomers, whatever you want to call it. And if we give them a place to play, we might be able to collect a few more players for not only MLS, but for the national team, potentially. This is interesting because so many players do develop late. Um, uh, You know, we talked about this before. A lot of the guys who are on the under 20s, the under 17s, they don't make it to the full national side, even though they get the best coaching, the best training. They miss that little X factor. And it's as a coach, you know, this trying to scout players, it's tough to define the the skills that will get you to that next level. Um, You know, I've reached out to Sasha Sorovsky, the coach of Maryland about, you know, coming on with us here on over the ball to talk about the split season in college, because I feel like for the men's, especially men's side, especially, you know, Chris, I know you coach the women's team at at, um, Loyola Marymount, but for the men, especially, it seems like a, a single season is very difficult. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I think a more players would be developed if they split the season and academically it's better too. So I, the NCAA of course is dragging their feet though. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's even got another, another pause, you know, last week it came out that the NCAA is not going to vote on this immediately. So now they've tabled it one other step. And so now you're thinking, okay, this might take another year to get it to that point. And I know we're coming out of a sticky time period with pandemic and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, the NCAA is not ready to green light this yet. And so all this work that's been kind of put in the can has to wait. Um, Where that ultimately goes, we'll see. But in the time being, if you're a very, very good young American player on on the men's side, you have this idea, yes, you can go to college or you can come out of the MLS academies and potentially go to MLS Next Pro, which is what they're offering here. And it's not an exact science. It's case by case because there are late bloomers. Everyone develops differently because you have the physical side. You have the the technical side. And then there's also that we don't talk about it enough, but just the maturity, the emotional side, just the ability to, you know, grow into your body and into your mind and learn how to become a pro. Everyone does that slightly differently. 
So we're seeing that, you know, we have young players like Aronson and, and all these guys and Tyler Adams who just seem beyond their years with maturity. But there's loads of players who are on the opposite end of that spectrum where they're uber talented, but not necessarily mature enough to be a successful pro. And this is where, you know, us waiting around for some of these players makes a little bit of sense and this league helps. Yeah, but it, for what my point was being that it seems like the game in some ways is is starting to pass uh, college division one. It's sort of, they're making themselves uh, not viable uh, for a kid who wants to go to a further level and wants to get his education. It, would, it was always a great strength of the United States, but if they don't adapt playing three games a week that some of us played in college uh, while yeah. doing yeah. our work or not doing our work, I mean, it's, it, soccer is not set up for it. And you see these professional teams like, man, you know, Man City and Liverpool right now, with all the games and league stuff they're playing and whether it's champions, FA, cup premier league um they're playing two games a week sometimes even a, th a third i think and and it's oh my god this is horrible for these professional players with deep benches so imagine an 18 19 20 year old kid uh that's also doing schoolwork and taking buses and not being at the, it's they're, they're going to make themselves uh, irrelevant i'm afraid yeah no it's become a, a real topic that's why sasha sarovsky and, and a whole crew of others have really kind of rallied behind trying to present this what they call the 21st century model because if we're still operating on what the NCAA did decades ago, it's become archaic based on the plans that we all now now need. Where, yeah. where there's a where, where there's a problem is like if you're a great young American player, and let's say you're a prospect potentially to get to an MLS first team one day. When you have the real conversation in terms of player development, it's hard to say that the college path is the best path right now. You right. know, because there's just too many starts and stops and interruptions to player development. And so this 21st century is trying to solve that because obviously in our culture, so many families do want the American education, the college education. So can we now send X number of players to the college game and still know they're going to come back well-developed from a soccer perspective? Right. MLS has flown forward so much in the last 10 years, but the college game has kind of stood still. And so now that that gap is getting bigger and bigger. And so we're seeing fewer college players really making it at the first team yeah. level. And that's why the MLS draft has even kind of been shrunken down because it's less relevant than it used to be. Yeah, that's what the NCAA has to sort of uh, be aware of, you know, because before, like you're saying, it was the wisdom of Solomon. You could continue to train as a soccer player, try to play at an elite level, but also get your education. So it was sort of uh, everyone yeah. win. But yeah, but the NCAA, Kevin, like they, they, they don't care about this. This is, this is not their mission to develop players for MLS. You know, like the way college and football, uh, college football and basketball works, it just ends up being like the perfect minor league system, quote unquote. Sure. But in soccer, it's not the same and that's not their intention to make it that but all the powers that be all the coaches are trying to you know maneuver things into a, a, a direction where the player development can be better under the under the ncaa flag awesome. and that's been a real struggle because it's a slow moving bureaucracy yeah but yeah and i think it's smart because uh you know noonan and sarovsky and davy mazer they've all like put this together carefully crafted talking about the physicality of a three-game schedule and the you know, and how it would uh, be for physical, better physically and also better academically. So I, I don't know. Anyway, I hope it gets, um, I don't want to see that lost any more than it is. And with, you know, me, me, it used to be when I was in college, platoon subbing, you know, five, six guys coming on when we played UConn at once or, or their, their inability to say the referee cannot have the time on the field. It's got to be on the clock, on the scoreboard. It was just an international game. The whole world plays it, and yet we want to do the rules our way. It's just sort of a smacks of some arrogance. So Yeah, well, the NCAA is all about participation. It's mm -hmm. not about player development necessarily. And, and in other sports like basketball and football, the rotations of substitutes, it, it's so common and prevalent that for those sports, it, it, it doesn't affect their game much because it's all part of the game anyway. Yeah. But at our level, where let's say FIFA substitutions used to be three, now we're up to five with, with everything, but it used to be three. And the, mm -hmm. and the college game is drastically different than that. So it, it really does change the game. Like college soccer and professional soccer are different, just right. the rules are so significantly different. Well, you know, you look at like John Calipari, he's publicly has said, I, I don't educate these kids. I, I teach them how to play basketball and win. And that's why they're in and out in a year or two and onto the pros. So if that's, that's what the NCAA's deal is with basketball and football, these revenue, big revenue generators, that's that the rules seem to be different. So I think what they're missing is the potential for this new game that has come along in this, since the sixties really and grown in college. So anyway, I piss and moan. It's like an old eighties, 1980s soccer player, but um, 
watching this weekend, uh, boy, I felt so bad for Zach Steffen with that ball getting yeah. caught on his feet and Monty. I, you know, I, the modern game is so interesting from the back. Everything's changed from the back. I think it's changed from the back up more than anywhere else where you got the keepers now are your sweeper keepers, pretty much everybody. You're supposed to have composure. You're not supposed to boot it. You know, Allison maybe boots it up the field once, twice a game. Uh, that's about it. So I know that there's pressure for Zach to remain, to remain calm in those situations. But even as a field player, man, that's you got to play the ball. You got to get rid of it. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, look. Obviously, they, they have a game model that really requires a lot of composure and technical ability in that position, uh, and it is part of the modern game, and very specifically to Man City, especially. And so they're mm-hmm. always willing to play. And even last week, you saw Ederson like pretty much brought the ball all the way to the line and still remained calm as he distributed it. Yeah. This is an unfortunate situation. I mean, yes, you want to play, but to like, like when you say, let's say boot it, you know, like, yeah, you want to play out of the back because that's how the team plays. But at a certain point, if you don't think things are going well, you have to be able to resort to plan B and just get it out of there and not concede. Right. And, and obviously he knows that, but in an effort to try to play and, and this is where you get, kind of frustrated right because he hasn't played a lot of games so right that's the bigger and, point yeah that his timing in these games like you can train all you want but the timing of matches especially in that position it makes it kind of awkward and, and he got caught out on a really big stage which is super unfortunate for him and yeah it, and i feel bad you know the mistakes i made as a field player you you just keep playing and you forget about it and then you maybe remember it when you're back in the locker room but for keepers man they make that mistake a big one of big consequence as it turns out and you just stand there between the pipes, <laughs> do nothing but just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. He has made a few scary moves throughout the course of his time of playing for the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, it's a tough time, I think, because we thought we had the goalkeeper situation sort of settled. There was competition there, but we thought we had who was going to be uh, between the pipes for us, for the United States. Was it going to be Turner? Was it going to be Zach Steffen? I felt pretty confident with both of those. Turner's been hurt. He's not going to play at Arsenal. Uh, Zach, as you, to your point, he's not playing enough at Man City, uh, which is puts us on the, the subject of Evan Horvath, who I think has made a great move to go from – uh, Nottingham back to Atlanta AFC to see to play for 2022. Very smart move, don't you think? Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting how the water flows. So you can flow out of MLS or you can flow into MLS. And in a World Cup year, probably the most important thing is that you're training and playing in a good situation. So if Brad Guzan goes down, and now there's a window to bring in Evan Horvath, he views this as a chance to come to MLS, get a ton of minutes, play. You know in the u.s for as he also plays for the u.s in a world mm-hmm. cup cycle it makes a ton of sense now look you can't sit back and say oh we don't want guys going to europe because they're sitting on the bench i mean look they're getting unbelievable training you know even zach stefan at man city i mean he's with the best coaches and the best players in the world on a daily basis right. so the value of that is is huge and you know of course you have to balance that with form and how many games is he ultimately going to get you know and and what is better for someone to be at that level training and playing a smaller amount or someone quote unquote coming down a level to mls you know and with all due respect but maybe playing more, you know, which goalkeeper is is preferred. And and I think it's a case by case and, you know, how a player develops uh, and how many games they get is a variable that you can't always control because it's a coach's decision. But there's also a financial component to this, which is, you know, how do you turn down, how does Turner turn down an Arsenal paycheck? How do you turn down a Man City paycheck? No, I don't think anybody would. Exactly. So now the playing time goes down a little bit but they have the check and they have the everyday training environment. And now they're trying to like position that for the world cup selection. And in theory, they should be our choices, but things it's been tough because for at city, Zach Steffen has a hard time getting games and Turner's obviously been hurt now and with really bad timing. So does Horvath come around the bend here and, and kind of become the number one in short order. Looks like it because Turner had the hot hand in MLS and then it's translated into the national team. I think that that cold, cold game up in Minnesota kind of uh, hurt him, but could have hurt anybody, really, um, his prospects. Zach now has made a couple of, of key blunders at, at really important times. 
uh, Horvath, uh, Horvath made that great save, that penalty kick. Uh, he seemed to be calm between the pipes. And so if he's playing, uh, he might be the, the number one. Gazan, you mentioned him. I'm not sure he was really in the mix. But if he was, uh, he's been hurt now. And he actually got hurt with a, a kind of, a, I hate to even say, like an older person's injury, which is an Aquila. It was a non-contact injury, which is why we all stopped playing basketball in our 30s, you know, or 40s. <laughs> it's like, you know, your Achilles is going to pop like a, like a fifth string in a guitar. So uh, Yeah, yeah. It's really unfortunate and hard to come back from and when you get a little bit older, especially, you know. So, I mean, he's such a great personality. We, I had yeah. some time with Brad at, when he was at Chivas USA first coming up, and he's, he's such a nice guy, and he's got great energy, and so he's always good in a locker room. And he would be one of, if you have that third goalkeeper to bring on a World Cup squad, you're probably doing one of two things you're getting the chiseled veteran who's great in the locker room who's willing to be a number three quote unquote mm-hmm. or, you're, or you're getting an up-and-coming person right and so now he's probably off that menu potentially and evan has been that you know he's been a little bit of both where he's got some experience and a great personality and had, had yeah. a huge save against mexico like you say in a good game and so i think he's arguably solidified in the three it's just a matter of where he is in the pecking order now Interesting, you know, because you do like a, a veteran like Gazan uh, there talking to the keepers if they do make a blunder, you know, because the keepers have that that club that they're in. Yep. And uh, even when they're in competition with each other, they're pulling for each other and helping each other out. So, uh, oh man, it, sh- it should be interesting. And, we, you know, we're dealing with a lot of injuries on the national team with to some of our top key players, Aronson and uh, Arena, you know, McKenney. So, um, you know, we're nail-biting. We've gone from one nail-biter, which is qualifying, <laughs> to, to another nail-biter, which is like everybody stay healthy. So I think, yeah. I think the season helps us, the timing. Um, you know, uh, with, with the World Cup coming up in November, which is going to be weird enough. Yeah, uh, imagine that. If, if we were dealing with the summer World Cup like we normally would, some of these guys would be off the list. You know, right. so a Gio Reyna has got a huge exhale that, that we have a, a, an oddly timed World Cup because it gives him, you know, a, a bunch of extra months to get back, which he will do. You know, so I, you know, I think some of these names that you mentioned, like McKinney and, and Reina, I mean, they're in the squad. They're going yeah. to go to the World Cup. It's just going to be a matter of hopefully how healthy and how sharp they are and how much they can contribute. And that'll be really a big swing factor for how this team does in the first round. I'm really worried about Gio Reyna just because I hope he doesn't battle like a hamstring for his entire career like Josie Altidore did. And it's, uh, you know, they, they know so much anatomically now, physically, that like I hope I guess they said we're going to get him healthy he'll be ready for the cup so let's let's hope so yeah you want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation the medical (laughs) staff of the U.S. national team and the medical staff of Dortmund you know how do they when they get on a zoom what does that go like (laughs) right because the guy plays fine for the U.S. every time he goes to to Dortmund you know he has a problem and and it's obviously not Dortmund I mean they're a very successful club and this hasn't been a problem for other players it's just somehow some way whatever whatever's happening for him isn't quite working out and it could be a fluke um or it could be something he's not doing on his end but somehow some way like as as the time goes on we're going to lose our margin for error right now we have a little bit of a cushion because of the late world cup but that's going to disappear in another month or two yeah and plus playing at that level you know it's not even match fitness it's beyond the the pace and that's why i think young people do well that's why i thought we have a good shot here. We have a nice young team or a moderately young team, uh, but they got to stay healthy. So, all right, let's take a break, Chris. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Ali from MLS with um, MLS Next Pro. Uh, you're listening to Over the Ball. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, Ali Curtis. Ali is uh, working for MLS and he's heading up MLS Next Pro. Uh, welcome to the show, Ali. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, look, hey, so I followed your career. Uh, I was saying this before we got on. Um, you were Herman Award winner at Duke. I remember those days. Uh, so you're a heck of a player in your day. Played a little bit of MLS a uh, couple of years there and then went on to be the GM uh, at the, for the Red Bulls and then at Toronto and now MLS Next Pro. So this is great. You know, I was thinking about you yesterday because I'm watching the, um, the Lakers story. I don't know if you're watching this on HBO. I am. It's, it's, just, it's hysterical. It's really good. It's, it's really well done. And I was a big Celtic fan growing up, but, uh, so it was amazing to see how you build a team like they are. But I thought of you because I was talking like when Jerry West has sort of a meltdown, he says like, "I don't want to coach," and he wanted to. He really has become a GM, uh, but he had to sort of discover that by realizing he didn't want to coach, even though he got them into the Western playoffs three years in a row. He just felt like sometimes really good players. 
have a tough or don't want to coach because they can't explain to the guys to do what they used to be able to do themselves. And you show Jerry West's frustration there. Um, but with you, it's been interesting. You were such a great player in college, played in the pros. Did you ever have a desire to coach or did you always want to go right into the, the front office? Um, yeah. First of all, I love that series. Um, yeah. You know, I, I watch it every Sunday. Um, and the guy that plays Kareem, I know, um, and so, you know, he used to be married to, uh, one of my best friends, uh, white or sister. So, mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I, I never, you know, growing up. And then when I got to Duke, I just, I always thought that I would, um, play soccer as much as I, as much as I could. And, and as long as I could do it at a high level. And then at some point I wanted to, I wanted to get involved in banking. Um, and I had, you know, I studied economics in college and then I had some exposure at summer internships and that type of thing. And so mm -hmm. I just thought I, I would naturally gravitate into into doing something in banking. And then I left MLS and then I, I started working at JP Morgan. And then, um, you know, I was doing long hours and all that stuff. And then you get the itch of, you know, how can I do something that's professionally that's more aligned with my passions? And um, I had thought about coaching. Um, you know, I don't think but but I, I, I was, I'm more lean towards kind of the management route. And I think if I did ever get into coaching or if I had, had I ever gotten into coaching, I think I probably would have been more looking to, to get into the college game probably as opposed to the pro game. Yeah. We were just talking about college, Chris and I, before uh, you got on Chris coaches at Loyola Marymount. And uh, we're talking about the, the void that MLS next pro is sort of filling with players uh, a little bit. Chris, do you want to talk to, to Ali about that? Yeah, no, I appreciate you ha you coming on, Ali. It's, uh, you know, I think Tampa Bay Mutiny, right? We're going back to, to MLS <laughs> 1.0. So, you know, wow. seeing you in those days and, and now through the years crossing paths. And uh, I'm from New York originally, but out in L.A. So there was a time when we crossed paths when you were with the Red Bulls and uh, Jesse was at the Red Bulls. Uh, so, you know, there's some good chapters in your career. So happy to have you on. And and obviously Toronto in and now, so you're really well positioned to talk about this. You know, my understanding, you know, from further away is that we have the MLS academies and then we obviously have the first teams and there's a gap of, of player development potentially in between. So can you speak to that a little bit? Like how was MLS Next Pro born? And then how have you now stepped in and what is the next step in terms of the launch, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, um, thanks for having me, Chris. It's really good to see you. I remember seeing you, you know, back in the day when I was at Red Bull. So it's really great to be on and, and to be able to talk with you and Kevin. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, it, you can care, you can characterize it as a gap. I, I look at it and there's different ways to phrase it. I think it's, it's really just an opportunity to really continue to evolve the game, grow the game, contribute to coaching, contribute to player development, you know, in so many different ways. Um, you know, you've got the, you know, the, the sport has grown so much, I think, in North America over the last 25 years, you know, over all of our, our lifetimes, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the professional game and um, with Major League Soccer coming in 96. And that has impacted, I think, you know, the sport and so many different levels. Um, it's so great that the that the national that both the Canadian and the men's U.S. men's national team have have qualified, and I think you know the growth of the game and the investment in the game has played a real contributing factor in that. You know, I think that in terms of MLS Next Pro, it was it was time. It was one of those. Um, there's an opportunity, especially when you think about the World Cup that we'll have later on this year, and then the World Cup that will be played on our own soil. You know, three and a half, four years from now. Um, it really is an opportunity to, I think, our, um, you know, the, the ownership group within Major League Soccer saw an opportunity that we can really double down on player development and, I think, and, um, and growing the game. And, you know, when you think about MLS, you know, in 2007, they, when U.S. Soccer started the Development Academy and MLS doubled down and, and also mandated that its teams invest in, in, in having their own youth academies, that was one step. And then, you know, there's all these other rule changes, whether the designated player rule and all of a sudden you have David Beckham. And I really think, I truly believe that um, we're onto something really special with this kind of next um, you know, iteration of, 
uh, uh, platform in terms of MLS Next Pro. And I think it'll give, you know, players a real opportunity to be the best versions of themselves in a very competitive environment and not just players. You know, I think the game is not just about the players, but it's also about the fans and connecting with different local communities that we've never been at. Um, you know, there's going to be an Open Cup game played in Rochester, you know, on Wednesday, and then they have their first home MLS Next Pro game on the weekend. Uh, and then how can we branch out into other communities within North America that we otherwise wouldn't be able to touch within Major League Soccer? And and then also you have so many other folks that are part of the ecosystem um, of, of the game, you know, referees, coaches, GMs, you know, broadcast folks. Um, and so there's really an opportunity to to help evolve and, and grow the game at every single level. Um, and I think now is the time, especially when you think about kind of our, you know, tentpole events in the, in, in, the, in the game of soccer with the World Cup and knowing that, you know, it's just a stone, stone's throw away from, from being played on our own soil. Great. And in terms of the nuts and bolts, tell us uh, about it. Is, is, is there, are there age restrictions? How big will the rosters be? When will the games begin? How does that all work from a nuts and bolts perspective? Yeah. So, you know, it's, um, you know, right now it's a 24 game season, 12 home games, uh, 12 away. We kicked off on March 25th in St. Louis, which was great. Um, you know, each team has, uh, you know, you've got your 24 um, uh, players that can be signed to an expo contract, and then you can have as many as 11 expand that roster to 35 with some of the players from your, from your academy. Um, so that's all, you know, um, very exciting in terms of, you know, there's some flexibility with regard to, you know, how you pay your players and those types of things. And maybe it's state specific and those, you know, depending upon different state laws and how you can pay players. But it's not a single entity. It's different than than Major League Soccer. And so, um, you know, we're trying we're really trying to, you know, one of our, our key pillars is is diversity. But that diversity doesn't just speak to kind of where you're from. Uh, it really speaks to everything about our approach, uh, what type of ownership groups are coming into the fold, the ages of players. In some cases, you've got older veteran players, and in some cases, you've got very young players. We don't have an age restriction um, in terms of what it takes to play. And so, you know, right now you're looking at like the average age is right around a little under 20 right around 19 and change that'll change it'll be fluid you know we're only into week four so things are going to change teams are still um, starting to figure out what their identity and what the best approach is for their clubs um, and that will take time um, but I think we're on to something it's been a really good start you know we've got this penalty kick shootout thing you know um, if a game ends in a tie that's been really really cool um, you know I think you know early on in the early years of MLS um, you know, they had that 35 yard kind of breakaway right. shootout thing. And, you know, it was, you know, <laughs> people will characterize that in a lot of different ways. You know, some, I think will look back and say, wow, we should have stayed with it. Some will say, oh, it was gimmicky. And some will say, well, you know, I really enjoyed it, but um, we wanted to stay away from that. And so, um, you know, I think that there was, you know, with this league, with so much opportunity on, on all different fronts, whether it's diversity, equity, inclusion, innovation, you know, connecting with different communities, player development. Um, we want to be on the front foot and, you know, we want to try new things, but at the same time, balance that with authenticity, um, you know, and um, because the game is be beautiful in and of itself. Um, and so, you know, we've got this, you know, you know, we've got this concept at the end of games where there's, um, where there's a, a penalty kick shootout, traditional five, you know, five kicks from the spot, um, and, and the winner of that gets a point and it's been really exciting. You know, it, I, I, you know, it gives players the opportunity to be under pressure. What, it, you know, what that feels like, you know, how it is, you're a coach, you know, when you're, it's, you know, um, practicing and getting better at, at, at penalty kicks and shootouts and those types of things. It's hard to do on the training ground, you know, and really you, you get those through reps in real life. And when you see what's happening in world cups, when you see what happens and a Champions League and those types of things, um, you know, it's an opportunity. And we're not, you know, and so we want to be, and, and, you know, I think that that concept, it's not revolutionary, you know, it's, it's something that's been around for a while, but um, it's a signal that we want to try some new things um, and symbolic in that way. Um, but we think it's, it's working, it's exciting, and we'll see, you know, at the end of the year, you know, we'll, we'll evade, take stock of it, look at the data, we'll make some phone calls and have conversations as to what's going on. And we'll try new things moving forward, and some will work and some may not, um, but we'll be, we'll be thoughtful about it. 
I love that attitude, Ali, because this is a, a unique opportunity to try new things. Some work, some might not work, some will work. Um, because whenever you talk about this game, people get very, you know, they take umbrage to yeah. any sort of change at all. You know, you got a couple hundred years of history and they get all, uh, you know, their panties in a bunch. So it's, it's great. You'll have a, a nice opportunity. And you talk about diversity. I mean, the one thing I've always loved about the game that I played is that I think soccer is probably the most diverse an inclusionary sport in this country that we have uh, right now. Um, can you speak to that a little bit more? Because you know, I used to say these players, uh, you know, my first traveling team, I'm staying with a Haitian American family. Then I'm, you know, with a Colombian family. I learned so much about the world, you know, uh, just living in this country, playing this game. Soccer is great. And in, in, in that regard, you know, it, it really is the beautiful game. You know, I think in so many different ways, um, you get a chance to to be to learn, um, you know, different cultures, um, you know, um, uh, because you're around so many different types of people from so many different places. It's amazing um, that, you know, that the language that we all know is is soccer and sometimes it's football or sometimes it's football, but right. it's all played with 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 one ball. And, and we know what's going on. And and, and that's amazing. So. Um, you know, it, it'll be, um, you know, we're excited about, about what's happening and, and, and the league and, um, uh, but it's, um, the diversity aspect is massive and, and, um, you know, I think we all, you know, you know, during the, during the pandemic, when, when George Floyd was, was murdered, I think that that was a, a massive wake up call for all of us to, to, to really act and to speak out about, um, what what's happening within um, you know our communities and and you know was happy with what our sport is has been doing and and the programming behind that and and all those types of things and and we have a responsibility um, you know we've always talked about having responsibility um, you know MLS has been a, a a league that's been in growth mode as well um, as well as execution but we're expanding and there's these new teams and you become part of a a community and you have a responsibility for that. And, and we also have a responsibility to be reflective of those communities as well in, in, in an authentic way. And, um, you know, I was the first African-American GM, uh, you know, in late 2014 when I was named um, uh, at, at, the, at Red Bull. And, and, and there hasn't been too many other, you know, um, uh, African-American GMs and, and coaches. And so, and we haven't had any, um, female coaches that head coaches in our league. And so there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity for, I think, for us to be the best versions of ourselves, you know, as individuals and as part of a collective, as elite, as part of teams, as part of a collective, there's those types of opportunities and it's important, you know, um, so that hopefully if we work really hard and we work collectively and we're thoughtful that, you know, I think that, you know, at least from my perspective, one of my goals is, you know, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you look back and you're, you, you were able to be part of something and to help build something that is really special and will have an impact and lasting. And I really think that, you know, MLS Next Pro will have that. And, and so I referenced earlier, I said something about, hey, well, you know, um, MLS, they invested in youth academies and then they, um, uh, they had the designated player rule and all these types of things. And I think MLS Next Pro will be, when we look back 20, 25 years from now, it will have that type of impact. You know, it will be, you know, we're really trying to, um, you know, change the game or evolve the game in a way that's transformational from, from how it's played to the people that are coaching it, administering it, playing it, and, and all of the above. And Ali, how does it work with the first teams? Are, are they mandated to have a team in MLS Next Pro by a certain time? No. So, you know, we, we've created this league and it's all been really fast, you know, yeah. in terms of um, we, we've got it up and running a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of hard work uh, being put. Um, uh, right now we've got 20 uh, MLS owned teams uh, and we've got one independent team. So we've got 21 teams. Um, there's a, there's a number of clubs. I think there's around seven or eight clubs that, that are still operating in the USL. Um, you know, what we want to do is we're focusing on, we're just trying to grow the game right now. We're so focused right now on trying to make sure that we're building the best league possible, um, for, 
um, uh, and, and understanding that everyone's got different ideas and concepts and objectives and approaches. You know, every little team, every club is their own tribe. And, you know, and they're going to approach things in, in so many different ways. Um, and some are focused on player development um, in different ways. And some are focused on fan engagement and all these other things. And so right now we're focused on ensuring that we have a really good competition it's solid. There's scar tissue because, you know, it may have been 15 years ago when MLS had the reserve league and, and, you know, those types of stories. Um, and so um, it's important that we're really thoughtful um, that we um, are analytical and we work hard to really construct a really solid uh, league, solid competition. We put a lot of thought into the schedule as well. And um, to make sure, you know, it's a huge component of, of what's going on and, um, so, you know, in that respect, it's really just trying to focus on having a really good competition, especially this is year one. I think we're, we're, we're four weeks in um, and then the rest will take care of itself. And I think that teams um, will, 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 will have some, some data and some information to think about making what decision makes sense for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, we just want to, we want to do right by the game. And now's yeah. the right time. Yeah. And the Kevin, this is what's interesting is like this has the it, it's kind of like there's two roads in and out. There's like the academy kids that can come up and into the league. And then there's the other vehicle from MLS Next Pro to the first team. So it's kind of like it's kind of cool. There's two arteries in and out, you know, where, you know, I would imagine Ali is this right that like if you don't if the first team player doesn't get a game that that he could potentially get loaned down and play in the MLS Next Pro. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, you've got, it's, it's just, you know, you know, I think that like you, you, you just want to have options and yeah. different ways of going about things in a different way. You know, when a goal is scored, it's not the goalkeeper's fault. Rarely. It's usually it's, it's because five or six other things occurred and all of a sudden the ball just happened to be in the back of the net. And so in this sense, it's, you know, how can we create a league that will help with, and also like what I would say is even for my own, you know, soccer career. And, and, and when you think about all these, there's so much out there now, the business and the game has grown so much transparency. And how do you get from A to B to C to D is, is confusing for players and also for parents. So this was this, you know, MLS next pro is really nice because it also, it provides a, a greater amount of, of, of clarity and just transparency. Okay. I play for the MLS next team and then I can go to the um, MLS next pro team. And then I can play for the MLS team. Maybe I can play for the national team here or there. And then there's all these other different options, to be honest with you, because the game has grown so much. There's other leagues where you can loan players to and things like that. And that's still happening now because, you know, even young players, you know, or players, sometimes it's good. Maybe they've played for the MLS next team, the next pro team, maybe, then the, the MLS team is not, you know, they're not ready for them yet. Maybe it makes sense for them to take a loan to another league, whether that's domestic or abroad. Um, so it's providing some transparency, some clarity and some options. Um, so, you know, it, it's a good time, I think, to be to be a player. It's a good time to be a fan, a coach, you know, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, we, we were talking about it before you got on. This is very exciting for the players because there's more opportunities. And we talk about late development in the United States. Classically, we've been developed, you know, our better players late. And also the, the sort of diamond in the rough element that Clint Dempsey was, or that these players that come out of nowhere that aren't on the national team track, let's say, which was the only track to sort of be on. So this gives more opportunities to more players and hopefully more discoveries for us as we go on to win a World Cup is what I'm, what I'm hoping for yeah yeah hey, ali I, let me ask you you mentioned diversity and i've I, in my career i've worked on both the men's side and the women's side you know is there any talk i know you can't you know get into it deeply but you know is there any talk about the women's game underneath the mls umbrella like is there an mls next pro women's league you know is there something that could be done hand in hand you know whether it's you know next to nwsl or perhaps under nwsl that could open up you know, doors for the women's game underneath the MLS umbrella. Does that get discussed at all? Is there any kind of possible path in the future for that? You know, I think the women's game gets discussed a lot. It's hard for me, you know, in, in some, you know, meeting rooms I'm in, sometimes it, 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 it comes up and, and in, other, in the rooms I'm not in, I, I can't speak, speak to that. What, what I would say is I think that we have um, 
you know, especially in the, in the U S and Canada, we have some of the best players in the world and, you know, and our college system, you know, we have players from all over the world that come to play in, in the U S um, collegiately. And then they go, they still, they play for their national teams everywhere. And we just have some tremendous players, personalities, people. Um, and I really think that, you know, I, it's hard. I, I don't have a, I don't have the answers in terms of what are the, the details of, 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 of how we can um, support um, uh, certain um, new teams and those types of things. But I do believe that, you know, and personally that, um, you know, if we're, we're looking at growing the game and growing the sport, then that is a both, that is an all gender um, type of um, uh, thing. That's something that we need to think through and be part of. Um, it's not just the men's game, you know, and so um, the solutions that we need to find um, in that respect, if we're truly trying to, to grow the game in all ways, it's not just when it, we talk about coaches and, and refs and, 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 and players on the men's side, but it's an all gender type of approach um, that we need to come together and, and create. And it's not easy um, because there have been imbalances with, how we have invested in and 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 looked and viewed the game over the last over the last hundred years, you know, all over the world, um, and, and so um, we need to think through that and act and also create plans so that we can execute in a in a, in a good way. Because the last thing we want to be is in a position where you know, twenty years from now, we're saying the same thing. Um, so um, we just we've got some great players here. Um, we've got some great clubs. There's a lot of good work that's happening at the youth level. Um, if we're talking about, you know, the women's game as well. And so how can we find ways that, so that has not been top of mind, but lately over the last, you know, particularly mm. over the last five, six months, I've been really locked in on, on MLS next pro, mm. but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm very grateful that I've had the opportunity to, um, be part of this game and, you know, and, um, I, like I said, I, I believe that if we're really that if we can grow the game in the way that I would like the game grown, that has to do with all, all genders. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I, I would be curious just from short term and also the future of MLS Next Pro is 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 a short term. Will we see MLS Next Pro teams in, in Open Cup competitions? And then also, where, where do you maybe see the league in 10, 15 years? Like, what would be the goal of the league in, in, in terms of being able to call it successful? Yeah, very good question, Chris. So we have two teams in, 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 in Open Cup right now. They, they both play on Wednesday, I think, St. Louis um, and then and also Rochester. Um, you know, it's a conversation also with, with U.S. soccer, just in terms of related parties and those types of things, whether or not, you know, the future will um, uh, MLS-operated teams be participating in that competition so, um, or in, in, in Canada, in, in the Canadian Championship. So, um, but at least in terms of our independent teams, yeah, the, the expectation is that those teams will be participating in in u.s open cup which is exciting it's a it's a great competition it's a way to develop it's exciting it's it's winner go home you know um which is which is amazing Those um, penalty kicks will come in handy yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got them got them on the pks yeah, yeah so, there we no, go no doubt um <laughs> i i think that like we want the competition to be um you know, uh, it's it's going to we we want rivalries. We want it to be exciting on the field, competitive, um, and we also want it to regionalize it in a lot of ways. And so, you know, we do need to grow the footprint and grow uh, teams numerically, such that we can achieve that. Um, so that we can so that we can have you know regionalized competition. You know, this year we've got four different divisions, um, five in each conference, with the exception of one that has six. Um, but we'd like to grow that. So you know. Um, you know, when you think of, you know, we've got 21 teams now and you think of, you know, we'll be pushing, um, likely pushing closer to 30, um, you know, plus or minus uh, for next season. And then, you know, when you think of moving forward, we'd like to have, um, you know, we don't have a cap number on it. So I, I can't say that there, there'll be 40 teams or 50 teams or, or 60 teams, but we would like more where the competition can be, can be very regionalized. 
Uh, it's competitive. Um, you know, if, if we're putting our work in from a player development standpoint, as you know, at the collegiate level and also at the youth level, then, you know, we're going to have some quality players. Um, you know, Kevin mentioned, you know, diamonds in the rough and those types of things for sure. You know, I, I signed Aaron Long, you know, in 2015 and, you know, he's been, he's, 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 he played, you know, for our second team for two years. And then he's now he's, you know, one of the best defenders, um, in, 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 yeah. in, in the league and, 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 uh, was defender of the year. Um, so amazing. And at the same time, you know, it's, you know, I also signed my first homegrown player was Tyler Adams. Um, and so, you know, how can we, we've created a league that will, we believe will be incredible. We believe it will be strong, competitive. Um, it will be right for, um, for all of the above. And, um, the goal is to create more and better. And so, um, you know, how can we, ha how can we achieve that? And, and I'm confident that we will do that. We've put together, you know, we're still, you know, growing the league office and those types of things So we have some really, um, I think we've got a good leadership team, um, that will grow. Um, it, it's interesting. It's, it's not a single entity, so it's a different structure and there's right. different nuances and, and those types of things, but, um, I'm excited about it, you know, um, Last week, we've created this innovation committee, so we'll look, which will help with, um, you know, looking at different new ways that we can, you know, evolve the game and new rules and those types of things. So I think it's exciting on a lot of levels. Um, we've, I think we've come out to a really good start. There's still a lot of room for, um, for opportunity and improvement. And, you know, we're going to try to do everything perfect, but we're going to make some mistakes along the way and we'll learn from them and then we'll keep going. More opportunities and, you know, uh, no bad ideas. I always say, you know, when I, I teach kids, it's like bad ideas lead to good ideas. You just, Absolutely. Nothing, it's all positive. We've moved forward. You know, you mentioned Tyler Adams, you know, my old roommate uh, back in the late 1800s uh, was, Armstrong. <laughs> you know, in the eighties, Desmond and I would talk about the African-American player and I played with players of color, but they were generally Haitian or Colombian or, or from somewhere. And we would always try to figure out how to get more African-American players playing Um how did you come to the game and what was your story? Who taught you the, the, the beautiful game? Yeah. Um, so just so you know, it was a, it was a real awesome moment for me on, on March 25th when I went to our first game, when, um, when St. Louis played Rochester, um, Desmond Armstrong has two boys that play for, for St. Louis. And so he yeah, was great. at the game and I had always heard about Desmond and I knew who he was, you know, mm -hmm. but I'd never Such met a gentleman. him. Such a gentleman. Yeah. So I, I met him for the first time at the game, just, you know, we, I had someone introduce me and that was a real, um, that was a real cool moment for me. Yeah. Um, because I think that like, you know, I think, you know, whenever you're trying to achieve something that you've never really achieved before, there's just, you know, there's never, it, it, even when Desmond Armstrong, were, there was only, you know, two or three you know, um, uh, players of color that were on the national team. Now you're, you're looking at, you know, uh, uh, close to half, if not more than half, half the national team. And it's amazing. And so, you know, when you see someone that kind of looks like you or maybe had a similar background than you, then, you know, it's possible. And so for a lot of players like Desmond Armstrong, or excuse me, a lot of players, they looked at Desmond Armstrong as a, as a, as, as for inspiration, because they said, you know, there's a chance um, I remember reading books about Pele because I said, wow, this guy's the best player in the world. Um, and he looks like me. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, as a person of color, we all have responsibility. We feel a sense of responsibility in terms of whatever we do in life. We know that it is a door opener and um, we try to execute it at a, at a really high clip um, because we want opportunities and we want to make it better for, for those um, that are coming after us because, um, you know, they're there, you know, almost like right. talent and a, they're there. We just, we, we've got to find a way. I, I was lucky. I mean, I grew up in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and, um, you know, we lived in a, um, we lived in a community. It was called family housing. They're all the houses were connected and we just had a lot of immigrants that lived in, in, in the community and, you know, from Nigeria to South Africa uh, to Brazil, and we all had this shared backyard. And so, you know, my parents grew up in Philadelphia, like in the concrete, you know, like yeah. there was no, they didn't know anything about soccer. And so, but we, me and my older brother, we would go out and outside and the neighborhood kids would play soccer in the backyard. 
So that's how I played. Otherwise, I love it. You know, I and love I just, it. Yeah, otherwise you wouldn't have known, right? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have known at all, and I just it just kept on going, and it, and it was you know we all know you know you 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 have a little bit of success, and then you know, and I've had all the bumps and bruises along the way. I think you know one of the best um, things that ever happened to me was trying out for a team in my local. You know, I was I think I was like eight or nine years old. And I thought I was the best guy at tryouts, but it was for two, it was for a team that was two years older than me. And, um, you know, the coach said, Hey, we're not going to take you because we think you're too small. And, and, you know, I was crying and, you know, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, because then, you know, someone told my mom, you said, Hey, you should take him to this other club in Livonia, Michigan, a club called Vardar, which is an MLS next. Um, and I, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It's, it's what helped you know, get me to Duke, um, to help, you know, pave the way. And I, you know, I still keep in touch with my old coaches and old former players. So it's, I love it. th this game is, is really special as we all have our own stories of our old teammates and old coaches and those types of things. So, um, I'm really grateful that I'm in the role now that I have, because I know that we're part of helping other people create memories and stories like that as well that I was fortunate to be part of. And, and dude, you're the uh, Desmond Armstrong in the front office. So uh, you're, you're leading by example there. So we Thank pay you. it forward, all of us in our lives. Um, so I, I love always hearing the backstory of how we, you know, how we discover this, this wonderful game. It's always by chance, by meeting a Portuguese guy in your neighborhood or something. It's just always wonderful. And what I always love about soccer is they're so enthusiastic about paying it forward because it's like the secret language that they have and they love the game and they, and they want to show you about it. Um, want to ask you a couple questions before you before we get going here. This has been a, uh, really enlightening because sometimes it's like alphabet soup, all the different leagues and stuff, and, and it gets very confusing. But you've done a great job breaking it down for us, especially Chris, who who really picks things up slowly. So, um, <laughs> say, <laughs> that ain't right, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I went a long way. way. I went a long way to leave like that. Out. I can't, you know. <laughs> uh, let, let me ask you this though, Lee. Um, who was who was uh, your favorite player growing up? Uh, soccer player? Yeah. Oh man, it was uh, it was Pele. It was I mean, Pele. it was he didn't play. You know, it's not like I really got a chance to watch him play. But it was just, you know, like I said, I would just read books about him, and like yeah. you know, and I didn't, and that's the special thing. Also, just different from our generation, like. MLS didn't exist, you know, and right, soccer, right. like you could, it was tough to, to catch a game on, on the, on the television, maybe a Serie A game here or there, you know, but nowadays, I mean, there's more soccer in the United States on TV than anywhere in the world. And so it was hard to have like a, I mean, I would still watch the world cup. I remember my friend's dad took me, um, uh, 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 and his son. Yeah. 94 to, I think was it, it was, in Detroit. yeah. Silverdome. So we, we went there and, and you watch all the, you know, um, all the games, the Brazilian national team players, I think for me was, and maybe that there was always, um, it was always special. You know, I just feel oh, yeah. like someone asked me one time, they said, you know, who do you think is the best at the game? And I, and I said, I think the Brazilians. And they said, and I, they said, why? And I, I, and it was a real difficult question and I still don't know, but part of me, I, I still believe, I just feel they love the game more. You know, yeah. and that you, it's just amazing. Um, so, yeah. If you see Brazil play, it is, it is different because soccer is exciting in and of itself. But with Brazil plays, the fans and the players, it's part rock concert. It's part soccer game. It's part showing off. And it's part getting results in a, in a fun way. It's, it's amazing. To watch. All right. So who's the, the, uh, the best player you ever played against? Or with? Let's ask you that way. If with or against? Because you played yeah. against some good ones. Yeah. Um, gosh, best player I ever played against or with, I don't even know the, what I would say is, um, this was a player he probably, um, in his younger years, I think that he was, um, I had a lot of talent when, um, when, when that was on the field, when I played for, um, some of the DC United teams. And when I think about some of the talented players, even, you know, at the back, I played with Eddie Pope and, and Ryan Nelson, who were extremely talented players. Um, you know, even in the midfield, whether that was Ernie Stewart or Ben Olsen, um, they were talented and Marco Echeverry, um, you know, and, and, and Storchkoff at up top was a very, very talented. I mean, he was, he was past his prime at the time, 
but um, you know, the way he, he could, you know, there's certain things that never leave you, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of the way you strike a ball and those types of things. Um, and so, you know, and, and then there's all these other players that I think that I've played with that I think I've been, I mean, I, they were amazing players. A player who come to mind is Brad Davis. My goodness, what a special player was he? Yeah. Um, I played with him and, and he was, he's amazing. And, and um, so there's, you know, some players, that, the flashy names are there, you know, um, whether I could say Carlos Valderrama or, you know, Stevie Ralston as well was a really talented player. Um, but you know, there, you know, the Brad Davises of the world and some of those players were just some really, really special players. Technically they were just un unbelievable. And they also had a bit of killer instinct in them that, you know, yeah. they, they knew, you know, when the bell was ringing. Well, I always loved Eddie Pope played, uh, he played a, almost a full game with a broken kneecap, which says a lot about him, uh, the type of player he was. So, uh, well, Elite, man, it's been great talking to you and, and uh, you know, meeting you face to face. Finally, like I said, I've followed your career um, on the field and in the front office for a long time. And I got to tell you, as a soccer fan uh, and a former player, I am just so happy you didn't wind up in Wall Street, man. We're happy you, you brought your talents <laughs> to us in the soccer world. Uh, Elite I appreciate Curtis. that. You got it, man. Thank you so much for everything you're doing for the game and paying it forward as well. And we'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball. Wow, what a, uh, what a nice guy. I had never talked to him before, Chris. Ellie Curtis, uh, appreciate him coming on the show and explaining MLS Next Pro to us. Really exciting. I mean, really, I'm, I'm very excited about this. This, uh, yeah. this, this. this fills a lot of holes. Yeah, it's important. It's important for the growth of the game. And, and that's why I'm curious if maybe one day we can get a similar version for the women's side of the game. But for all these players now, there's so many options. There's so many options yeah. to watch the game on television. And now there's so many options to play the game. So you have, you know, first division MLS, you have second division USL, you have MLS Next Pro in the third division. You can come out of the academies and go to college. You can come out of the academies and go to MLS Next Pro or USL. I mean, Fantastic. you know, it's, it's just, there's just so many options. And what I think what it'll do, it, it'll just obviously create more player development opportunities, but it also create more markets for players. And that will, you know, drive the business side of things as well. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, most clubs in the world are selling clubs. And so the more we can put ourselves into that position, like LAFC, for example, just sold Diego Rossi on to the Turkish club that he was on loan. And it's going to be roughly a $10 million deal. You nice. know, and, they, and they only signed him for a few million. So, you know, it's a big profit in a short window of time. And I think, you know, these smaller markets generate national interest uh, because it's generated on a local level and people get involved and then they start to love the game. They start to appreciate it and understand it a little better. I, I thought I was going to do a follow up question to Ali, but I thought it was really more for you. I think uh, it seems like the women's game, the league has to be better established, gets stronger. And it's taken a, taken a long time for MLS to get there. So, you know, NWSL still has work to do in that regard. It also seems like college is a really good development uh, tool for women to play professionally, not only for our players, but also for foreign players. I mean, maybe like he mentioned it about how the, you know, U.S. college women's college soccer is strengthening national teams around the world. Yeah. I mean, I mean, optically, yes, but I think because the, the women's league, the women's pro league here is one of the best in the world. We're, we're getting national team players from all around the world to come here and play. So the odds of being a college graduate, being able to play on the first team of one of these very few NWSL teams, there's not like 30 like MLS, there's very right. few teams. So it's a really a small pool. There aren't that many roster spots available. So I think there's a place for something like an MLS Next Pro on the women's side, Even, whether or not it's affiliated to the pro game or not is, is a question. I mean, there's the big mama question, which is, okay, you have the NBA and you have a WNBA. So we, will we one day have a WMLS and does, can that coexist with the NWSL or will that step in one day if, and when the NWSL is not around or will it be absorbed? Yeah, there's that sticky. first big question. And then underneath that is the player development side. But if that league grows, there's going to be a need for another league like this, like a second or third division league. That's good. Well, it's, uh, it's a 
very smart man. He uh, seems to have Thank it all you. under control. Not you, him. Oh, oh I thought you no. meant me. Um, hey, are you watching this Lakers thing? This, this Lakers no, show? no, I, I'm not watching it. I don't know why, because everyone keeps asking me, because obviously I live in L.A. and I haven't gotten to it yet. Maybe I'll binge it one day. You're liking it, though, huh? Well, it, it's, you know, I followed hoops back then during the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird years, and it was fascinating to, to get the backstory on, on, on Magic Johnson and, and Jerry West and all these players. And, you know, he started to, he's friends with the guy who plays Kareem. I mean, it is so well cast. Kareem, it's like he's Kareem and Magic Johnson. I don't know where and Jerry West, the three of them. It's it's amazing. I John saw C. Riley nails it. Man, he nails it. Uh, Doctor Bus. I saw the guy who plays Magic real quickly on television, and like the way his eyes, like it looks exactly like it. Like Magic, it's yeah. Weird, right? Got that great smile and and, yeah. and the the. I mean, with the, they talk about his backstory with his family and everything, so it's really wonderful. It's been fun to watch because um, it's ancient history now, you know, thinking well, back yeah. to those days. But there's another one coming out uh, called They Call Me Magic on Apple TV. It's coming out any day right. now. Um, I just saw it as being advertised in, in Westwood yeah. the other day. I was in that area. You might like that then. It's always this binge stuff. First, I was binging on the Beatles and McCartney, and now it's the, the Lakers and Magic, apparently. So, uh, all right. Well, good stuff, Chris. I got, uh, this comes out. We're recording this on a Monday, coming out tomorrow. Uh, and tomorrow is Manchester United and Liverpool. We're talking about colleges playing too many games. How about Liverpool? They've got some depth, but uh, they're, they're playing lots of games in a short uh, amount of time. They're trying yeah. to make up that weekend game because of uh, the FA Cup. Yeah, Klopp's already come out and, you know, criticized the whole situation. And I guess it's their their Newcastle game that they're trying to move now just because there's just too many games in a short window of time. And even Man City, they've rotated players. It's at a certain point, they just can't keep going, you know, right, and, and, right. And, and then they're going to play all through. And the majority of these players are going to go through this gauntlet. And then go to their national teams in preparation, know. you know, for preseason and then going to the World Cup during what would normally be a break time. So you it's, know, it's a crazy I, time. I, I thought Pep did a really good job with Man City because they came in limping. Uh, they got beat up, you know, against Atleti. And so, um, you know, and they came back. They almost came back. They almost did it. So, yeah. uh, so it's good stuff. God, we just love this game. Uh, and we need more people like Ali Curtis to, uh, to, to help us. Um, so, all right, I'd like to thank Ali Curtis, obviously, from MLS. And uh, uh, who else did we have on the show? Nobody. We have a producer, Alistair. Uh, yeah. For Chris Chamonix and Kevin Flynn, I'm Kevin. Wait, for Chris Chamonix and I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball. <laughs>